0: Good morning. My name is Eric. I am the the Life Group pastor at New Life Church. I'm really happy I get to be here this morning. One of the things I do is I help people get connected into the community and into life groups that are around the neighborhood or neighborhoods and help them learn how to live life together, which is is what we're doing. And this is the bigger context of that. That idea is we're living life together as a church. And that's what I get to do most of the time, and and sometimes I get to preach, and I'm really excited about that, and glad that we get to open scripture together this morning. So, I'm glad to be here. On December 9th, 2018, Pastor Wang Yi, Senior Pastor of Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdong, China, and 100 members of his church were arrested for inciting subversion of state power. That arrest started a 48-hour timer that was pre-established. Once that 48 hours had been met, a letter written by Pastor Pastor Wang was to be sent out by the church, explaining that his arrest was not an act of political activism or civil disobedience, not a way of making a point, but a necessary consequence as he was being persecuted for serving Jesus and loving people for his sake. As he says in the letter for the entire commission, God has given me is to let more Chinese people know through my actions that the hope of humanity and society is only in the redemption of Christ and the supernatural, gracious sovereignty of God. I read that letter and what I was struck by first is that it existed at all, right? I don't have a letter written ready to be delivered if and when I get thrown into prison someday. I don't have that letter. Secondly, that he is planning to be outside proclaiming the truth. He's planning on doing that, knowing that he will be battled for it. Knowing that he will be persecuted for it. And finally, that he has an otherworldly way of dealing with enemies. He did not go down swinging and punching and kicking and fighting. He wrote a letter in advance. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. In Romans 12, we have been talking about the actions of the community of Jesus that appropriately and beautifully frame the gospel of Jesus. As we talked about last week, one of those characteristics of the community of believers is its pursuit to show hospitality. Its desire to seek out ways to show hospitality. Hospitality being the showing of love to the other, to the stranger, so that they might become friends. There is a pursuit to those outside the community. And when you are pursuing those outside the community, sometimes you bump up against a stranger that doesn't just not want to be your friend. They are your enemy. They want to fight you. Throughout chapter 12, we have been appealing to the mercies of God. That's how Paul um, informs the way he's he's asking for these actions. He appeals to the mercies of God and how we lay out what the community of believers does. One of, one of those mercies is that God has dealt graciously with enemies. Romans 5, starting in verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That is sweet mercy a glorious mercy, a welcome gospel. We are a community of enemies reconciled. Amen? That's good. Because of this truth, we can say, yes, of course the gospel has something to say about how to interact with my enemy. We were enemies who have been reconciled and now we are part of a community that has a different response to enemies. This morning as we continue into Romans 12 Um, Starting in verse 14, we will see that the gospel transforms our relationships with our enemies. It transforms the way we speak. It transforms the way we think and the way we retaliate. The gospel transforms our relationship with our enemies. Let's read chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Paul continues describing the frame. Bless those who persecute you. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we move from the internal characteristics, which is described in the passage 1 through 13. Um, we have looked at the last couple of weeks and it is as though it's as though we walked out the door of the church or out the door of whatever house you meet in for your life group. And the door has been open and now we walk outside and we're going to focus on how this community, the community of Christ, acts once the door is open. Once they go out of the door, once they meet people that are strangers. And the first actions mentioned by Paul are the way we speak. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This entire passage, 14 through 21, is interlaced with the words of Jesus. He spoke a lot of these words in the same way during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. It's it's the famous sermon of Jesus. Um, In Matthew 5, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The community of Jesus that Paul is talking to knew the words of Jesus. And use them to inform the way they acted and spoke. And Paul is pulling those teachings of Jesus and those words of Jesus into this and saying this is how we act. This is how we respond. Blessing and cursing. This is a slightly difficult way of talking because we don't use this type of terminology, right? We don't use it on a regular basis. We hear blessing and we think of some super spiritual moment with a hand on someone's head and a profound prayer, eyes closed. And curses, well, curses make us think of witches, right? (laughs) That's what I think of. No one else thinks of that, apparently. (laughs) Blessing, in actuality, blessing is, is to want good for someone and to display it with your words, to speak well of someone. Cursing is to want the opposite, to mock, to deride, to dishonor, to shame, and to be conformed to the world is to be well-versed in the mocking battle language. It is happening all the time. If you look around, if we are not observant, we will have our battle language quickly becoming cursing because we're just going to do what other people do around us. Do not learn your way of responding to your enemies from cable news. Seriously, don't do it. Do not choose the avenue of response from the example of Facebook or Twitter. You, you see how those things happen. Someone posts a video. Look at this idiot. Look at this guy. Of course he got that. He, he got what was coming to him. I hope, I hope that and worse happens. Look at that bigot. Mocking and cursing. That's the MO of the world. That's how we fight our enemies with our words. But those who are part of the Kingdom of Jesus do not use that type of speech to frame the Gospel. We don't mimic that language. In a completely countercultural way, Paul reminds us that you bless those who persecute you. The Church of Christ can be characterized by people who are being persecuted, derided, mocked, and they can look that enemy in the eye, not through a screen, and say, The Creator of the universe loves you. I care about you. I want good for you. I'm praying for you. That's blessing. You don't have to agree with someone to bless them. You don't have to buy into their thinking to love them. You don't have to support them to pray for them. We bless and we don't curse. When we are prone to bless an enemy rather than curse, we respond differently to an enemy. And we respond differently to their happiness or pain. Paul continues in verse 15 and he starts talking about the way we think. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Paul does not just stop at the words that we use. He continues into the way we think, the way we categorize. Is someone rejoicing? Rejoice with them. Is someone happy? Yeah, but they're my enemy. Be happy with them. Is someone weeping? Sit. And weep with them. Also, countercultural, right? The common way is to be angry when others are rejoicing, especially when we don't like them. If they're rejoicing, we're angry. When your enemy skins their knee, you do the end zone dance, right? We are upset when an enemy has a win or experiences something good. Here's a trivial, trivial example Are there any Patriot fans? A lot of us spend a lot of time wanting them to lose and hating them. That's a trivial example but it shows our proclivities to run that direction. I don't like them, I hate them, I want I want bad for them. That's what we do with our enemies. We tend to rejoice at the wrong times. When someone is crying, we are laughing, we are celebrating. Instead, Paul is saying, show compassion. Verse 16 in the original is something akin to be of the same mind. Empathize with people, even if they are enemies. Obviously, this is a great goal to pursue at the internal level, inside the church, inside the life group, sharing each other's burdens, sharing each other's joys, and something that informs the way we ought to operate here inside these walls. We practice it here, we practice it, In life groups, when a brother experiences hard times and it is time to weep, we weep with them. Because we share one another's burdens. And when someone experiences a great grace and it is time to rejoice, we party together. Because we share each other's joys. We practice this inside and the hope would be that we excel at this inside. But when we go out the door, this takes on another dimension and becomes very powerful when it is directed to the outside, to our enemies. This is hospitality. This is desiring to make friendship out of strangers, even if they are enemies. And this is altogether countercultural. This requires some world-changing power to make this a possible response, right? World-changing. Mercies of God. That type of power. Paul continues about our thinking. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Sometimes rather rather than engage, rather than be hospitable, rather than try to make friendships, we distance ourselves and we decide we are unapproachable. We make ourselves wise in our own eyes. We measure ourselves against ourselves and we decide I measure up. And others don't and we stay away from others. We start looking down our noses at strangers, at enemies. Of course they are my enemy. They are stupid. They are low. They have less capacity for thought than me. That person disagrees with me or doesn't like me or is anti-me because I love Jesus. Well, they are below me. They don't even deserve the good truth that I have. Paul's saying, stop that. We, the community of Jesus, associate with the lowly. The ones we think are lowly because we make poor measurements of ranking, sure. But the actual, categorically low. The other, the stranger, the down and out, the vulnerable. We, the community of Jesus, do what Jesus did. And walk with the dirty and the broken and the sad and the outcasts. And sometimes we rejoice with them because they're rejoicing. And sometimes we weep with them because they're weeping. But we are with them. This is crazy stuff, right? We're talking about enemies. <laughs> this is crazy. This stuff sounds like Jesus talking at the Sermon on the Mount and flipping the rules of the world on its head. Changing the way we operate because we are not of this world. We are of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. And if I'm honest, this doesn't sound like fair fighting. We have talked about speaking. We have talked about thinking But really, if you're like me, you want to know how we're supposed to fight, right? Paul continues and tells us how the gospel transforms the way we retaliate. In verse 17, I'm just going to read it again. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is is mine I will repay says the lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good and you can hear you can hear the life and teaching and example of jesus continue, continuing to inform the way paul's talking about this paul continues to encourage us as I have mulled over this passage, thinking about how we fight, I keep thinking about boxing movies. Have you seen the Rocky movie? Maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe. Or some other fighting movie. And there's, there, in those fighting movies, there's always scenes of training. Right? You see, you see the fighter doing push-ups or running up mountains or getting strong, getting fit, you also see them learning how to correctly throw a punch or, or block their face. you see them also learning how to take a hit, take a hit in the face or take a hit in the body. Part of learning how to fight is learning how to take a hit you can't you can 't have a goal of being a good fighter and plan on never getting hit in the face that 's a bad plan part of being a skilled fighter is knowing what to do, planning to be surprised by a hit and knowing how you're going to respond. Because if, if you don't have a plan, you're going to get hit and you're just going to start flailing and then you're done. It's over. You're going to just do what you think best in the moment. You need a plan to go ahead and make the right move, not the wrong move. In the same way, we need to learn how to take a hit, how to have a plan so that we are not surprised and have a plan to have the proper response that is one aligned with the mercies of God. If I'm honest, in my natural tendencies, if I take a hit, I want to hit back. I don't care if it's a physical hit or a verbal hit. I take a hit and I want to come back harder, heavier, in a more brutal way so they never feel like hitting me again. That's what I want to do. If someone comes at me with words or arguments, I want to dismantle them with their I want to dismantle their argument and leave them ashamed. But that's a, a worldly way. That's my flesh talking. That's me knowing I used to be conformed to the world and is not informed by the mercies of God. Paul talks of taking hits and retaliating in completely different ways. He says we are persistently persistently benevolent and courageously patient. That's what we do. He says, "Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all." Someone comes at you. Someone seeks to knock you down or knock you out. With Jesus followers, it's not eye for eye or tooth for tooth. Instead, we engage our minds to think about what would be honorable to do in this situation. What good can I do here that would be recognized by all? This is not a a gotcha moment or a crowd pleasing gesture. This is doing the honorable, the wise thing in response to an evil situation. I can be, and you can be, respectful and honoring to someone who vehemently disagrees with you. Even in the middle of a debate, I can assume the dignity and worth of someone. Even if they decide to be in opposition to me. I can pray for my enemy. I can help them when they trip. I can show them all the indicators that say I care about them. And that can never be reciprocated. And even in this broken, twisted world like ours, there will be people who will look at that and look at us and say, wow, that is goodness. That is mercy. That is graciousness. That is honorable. Paul continues, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not be the speed bump to peace in any relationship. Let people hate you. Let people loathe that you love the Bible. Let people stumble on Jesus. But brothers and sisters, do not let them have a reason to say, they were hurtful to me. They are contentious. They are fighters. They beat me over the head with truth. I don't agree with them, so I am little in their eyes. Don't let that be the case. So long as it depends on you, live peaceably, with all. I'm so thankful that this is, this is Paul giving a realist request. Because there will be some who will not have a peaceful relationship with you. And that's okay. He says, as long as it depends on you, live peaceably. I have a friend, a friend named Terry, who started following Jesus several years ago. Probably eight years ago now. And once he was baptized, fully identifying with Jesus, his family disowned him mom sat him down his sons sat him down we are not going to talk to you anymore we're done you can't see his sons he has grandchildren he's never met he's missed birthdays and holidays but my friend has never let himself be a hindrance to peace in that relationship he drops off birthday presents at the door they get returned Christmas presents. They're returned. He writes letters full of love to his sons. I've read those letters. They're not contentious. They're not hurtful. They're not spiteful. They're not angry. And I've heard him pray many times with tears in his eyes that God would change their hearts and soften them. There's not peace in that relationship yet, but as far as it depends on Terry, He has lived peaceably with them. Jesus looks good by that response. We follow the God of peace. We are people of peace. Paul continues, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But what if you take a hard hit, or several body blows Or one right to the head. This is heavy persecution we're talking about. This is getting into the meat of the battle. This is losing a promotion, losing a job, losing status, going to prison like our Chinese brothers. What if you bleed for Jesus? These Christians that Paul is writing... This letter to live in Rome mere years before persecution, great persecution, deadly persecution comes on them. And I think God is speaking through Paul to teach them and prep them in advance how to retaliate. How to fight in the midst of the heat of the battle. And Paul says, never avenge yourself. Never get back at that person. But leave it or literally... In the original, give place for wrath. Give space for wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 32, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, says Yahweh. When the great persecution comes, when the heavy hits threaten to lay you out on the mat, you don't come up swinging with a vengeance. You give space, and you know that God, the God of justice will rightly deal with that hit. We'll rightly deal with that blow. This is not a, a stupid grin on your face, Pollyanna Pollyanna, faux happiness. This is not an Eastern controlling of the emotions or a stoicism that will remain unaffected no matter what, what happens to me. This is couched in the vocabulary of vengeance. The language of wrath. And I'm thankful... That we can deal with it in reality. This is a realist perspective that can look evil in the face and say, I don't have to pretend that this is not a big deal. I don't have to pretend that that didn't hurt. Or that I I don't have to pretend I don't care. But I follow the God that will rightly judge this evil. And I can be confident that it is so. Because persecution is evil, right? Evil. God is good, so good, and He is fully so in all of His characteristics. He is loving and He is just. He is compassionate and He is wrathful. And He displays and executes those characteristics perfectly. We need not be afraid or ashamed of any of those characteristics. Those are the characteristics of God. In fact, Paul Is appealing to the wrath of God to help you stand firm in the face of a fist fight. Which is why Christians are uniquely and singularly positioned to deal with the complexities of this world in a clear-eyed way. The more I see sin in this world, the more I just observe and keep my eyes open, the more I am thankful that God is a wrathful God. I want a God who will rightly judge. I want a God who is furious at evil and angry at injustice. I want a God who's not willing to say they're there when Christians in Syria are killed. I don't want a God that turns a forgetful eye to people killed at a Bible study in Charleston. That would be neither loving nor good nor just. We have a God who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay fully and appropriately and rightly and finally. And because of that knowledge, those who are persecuted can leave space for wrath. Paul is the guy who gets thrown in prison, persecution, and lovingly leads the guards to the gospel. The one who kept the chains on his wrists. Because he knows the God who is good. A missionary like Jim Elliott can reach outside of the church all the way down to Ecuador in order to share Jesus with his enemies and take a spear to the chest. And his family and friends, rather than seek justice and vengeance, can walk back into the same jungle and lead those enemies to the gospel, to Christ. They're Christians now, that's a real story. Pastor Wang Yi can go to prison and have the wherewithal to write a letter in advance that proclaims these words. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to attempting to, and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children ruin my reputation destroy my life and my family The authorities are capable of doing all of these things However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life And no one can raise me from the dead and so respectable officers Stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation in hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? You don't need to strike back. God will deal with it. Paul continues to describe our, our retaliation. He says to the contrary If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is the language of Jesus, again, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's also the language of wisdom found in Proverbs 25. Here is how we really retaliate. We give food and we give drink. We feed hungry enemies. We give beverages to thirsty enemies. For by doing this, we heap burning coals on his head. What does that mean? Frankly, we don't know where this phrase comes from. It's a weird way to talk. We don't understand. But at the very least, by this retaliation of kindness, we turn up the heat. We turn up the heat on the relationship. If I take a hit and respond with kindness, this is way, a way for me to make space for wrath. And honestly, build it up. An enemy attacks you and you feed them, and they attack you and you give them a soda. And they attack you and you buy them Subway? God sees that evil in response to kindness and you are with kindness turning up the heat on that person. And by turning up the heat, we create space for the wrath of God or we pray we make a friend. We make space for the wrath of God or we make a friend. We hope for the latter, but trust that the God who will do the former so we don't have to retaliate. Honestly, if someone keeps buying you sandwiches, there might be a bit of shame that comes out when you think, what the heck am I doing? I am coming after this guy and he keeps buying me lunch. We hope and pray for friendship because of that kind of interaction, but we make space for God to deal rightly if that doesn't happen. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not let evil overcome you. It will pursue you. It will pursue you to persecute you. But we fight back by being persistently beneficent and courageously patient. When we are in the middle of the fight, gloves up, haymakers and left hooks flying everywhere, it is plausible that we will be overcome, but Paul is laying it out in advance. I'm telling you in advance, the fists will fly, the words will sting, the consequences will be major and evil, but do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is the entirety of the battle tactics laid out by Paul. We, those transformed by the gospel, we speak goodness and blessings, we think hum- well and humbly, and we retaliate not with heavier fists, but with goodness and kindly offered bread. Practically, if you're listening to this and and you're thinking, I don't even have an outlet for this. If you don't have an environment to practically use these directions, if you are not being pursued for persecution and the type of persecution that would happen in our context, perhaps it is because you're not pursuing the stranger, the other, the one not like you in hopes of giving them hospitality. I'm talking about the persecution that would be expected if you faithfully and publicly live life as a follower of Jesus, striving to be hospitable to those who are not like you, so that they might be friends. All of this sits in the context of going outside the door to make friends, to pursue the stranger. And when you do that, you're bound to meet someone who will not be your friend. Because when we rub shoulders with that many people, in order to make friends, sometimes we will bump up against someone who is our enemy. And praise God that Jesus, the words, the words from whom we have been quoting, did not just give us great ideas or great words, but an awesome example. We have a God that can and did overcome evil with good. We have a God that went out the door to pursue the stranger, pursue the others, pursue his enemies, to pursue us. And he did make friends and people loved him, but some hated him and some persecuted him and some beat him and treated him like he was a criminal and a liar and a fake. And the most evil action in all of history was perpetrated against innocent Jesus, son of God, execution on a cross. And Jesus never stooped down to those tactics used by his enemies, but instead made place for the wrath of God And by doing so, brought reconciliation to enemies. Enemies like Paul, enemies like you and me. And he gives us something to eat and something to drink so that we would remember the mercies of God and be one as friends. Let's pray.